calling all podcasters, musicians, vloggers, and reporters, and everyone else who wants crystal clear recording that's super portable. The Shure Motive family of microphones makes studio quality audio that's as simple as plug and play. Many of the world's top podcasters rely on Shure, and with a Motive line of iOS and USB microphones, portability is now your friend. Imagine being able to get great audio quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. Simply visit Shure.com slash Motive to start getting great audio for your content now. That's S-H-U-R-E dot com forward slash M-O-T-I-V. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I'm joined, as always, by my co-editors, Greg Mitchell and Chris Schutte. Lots to go over here today. I know it's been a little while uh, since we've last done one of these. Um, I I think what we're going to talk about most of this podcast is the latest happenings in the Celebrity Big Brother house. Uh, Meta World Peace is uh, playing a really bizarre game, doesn't really know what he's doing. He thought he was voting for uh, Chuck to stay. He accidentally voted to evict him. Greg and Chris, I wanted to get your takes on that. I don't watch inferior reality shows. I only watch Survivor. His uh, his name name used to be Ron Artest, right? It did. It did used to be Ron Artest, and he played for noted mid major St. John's, right? Yes. Would anyone like to talk about Malice at the Palace? I would love to talk about how much time do you have? All the time in the world. Should we talk about? Um, Worldwide West's role in that? No, we should just talk about how Jermaine O'Neal almost killed a guy, but he slipped on water. As a young man at that time, Chris, did that have a, a, a traumatic effect on your life? No, that's my all-time favorite moment in Pacers history, but it also kind of upsets me because they were absolutely going to win the title that year. And then we ended up with like four years of like Troy Murphy and Mike Dunleavy, so that was fun. All right, well, let's talk about what we should actually be discussing on this podcast, and that is that over the weekend, the NCAA uh, selection committee revealed its top 16 teams as it stood um, on Sunday. So if the tournament had started on Sunday, they would have been the one, two, three, and four seeds in all four regions. And there were no mid-major schools or no schools that we define as mid-majors listed. Um, I think... Rhode Island had probably the strongest argument for being on there. I think you could have made an argument for Gonzaga and St. Mary's as well. Um, but I wanted to get your guys' reaction. Do you think that was fair? Uh, would you have included a URI or a Gonzaga? And what what does that tell you? I think, and I think I'd, I'd like to have a conversation of which of those three if only one would be deserving of which one it would be. I, I just have a problem with Oklahoma being on that, on that list. I know that's I do too. outside the major world. So we're not, we're not, we're not allowed to talk about that. I, th- I think like the heavens, the heavens will rain down on us if we, if we start talking about that. But um, I, I just don't, I think that is completely undeserved for that team. So, you know, and I guess I'm sure there are a, a number of non major schools that would have a, a case, um, for that last spot, if, if that is the last spot, but that's kind of my initial thought. I, if I was going to put a team in, I probably would have put in Gonzaga. They've got uh, four wins in the, in the group one and then two wins in the group two. Um, and you look at a team like Ohio state who only has two wins over, um, over group one teams and a team that Gonzaga beat. I don't have a problem with Ohio State being in. They've obviously 
racked up some really nice wins against Michigan State and Purdue in Big Ten play. Um, but I definitely think that you could make a case for, for Gonzaga to be in. That's probably who I would have gone with if one of those three teams was going to get so in. So let's you, – you mentioned Gonzaga, and I, I think Gonzaga has a strong case to be included as well. So, um, Chris, are, are you with are you with Greg and I in thinking that Oklahoma should not have been included? Yeah, especially given how they've performed recently. Um, I mean, they, they've got six six Group One wins, but I mean, when you lose nine games, are you and you're below five hundred right. in your conference? Is that really deserving of being one of the top sixteen teams in the country? Maybe not. I know there's some conspiracy theorists out there who are pulling the the Trey Young card. They're doing it just to get. Yeah, but why why would you do that though for like a top sixteen reveal like this? Right. Like if there's going to be a conspiracy, you do it for the actual NCAA tournament. Yes. So then I have the Gonzaga team sheet and the Oklahoma team sheet up in front of me. So why don't we just compare their resumes and see if we could figure this out? See if we decide that Gonzaga does have a better resume than Oklahoma. So the Sooners again, they have six Group One wins. They're six and six. Gonzaga's four and three. All right. Gonzaga has one loss outside of group one. Oklahoma has three. And actually, yeah, Oklahoma has three. They wouldn't have included the Texas Tech game, which just finished up a little while ago here. So keep that in mind. One thing that I think is important to note is that the selection committee no longer looks at, um, how you've played in your last 10 games. That used to be um, a big factor. Now they just look at the big picture. So I think that helps Oklahoma a little bit because on as of Sunday, they had lost four out of five, but that streak probably doesn't mean quite as much. Um, their best wins appear to be Texas Tech at home, Wichita State, uh, and in what is what was essentially a road game, uh, Kansas at home, Gonzaga beat Ohio State on a neutral court, and St. Mary's at home for those two. So I would see why you would include Oklahoma, but I, I think the part that I always struggle with, and maybe you guys do too, is for a big 12 team how do you factor in a higher a much higher number of losses when it's because they've played a higher schedule and at at the end of the day like losses need to matter um but you know who's to say that Gonzaga wouldn't have a similar or worse record if they played in the big 12 well i think the the biggest thing is just going to be um the sheer number of opportunities that's going to screw over the mid-majors, which, I mean, it's the same thing every year. And I think that the committee's shown that it's probably going to probably gonna happen again. That was, that was my biggest takeaway from this particular situation. Um, I, I had the same thought, and that kind of leads me to what I wanted to ask next. And this is more specifically about 
Rhode Island because Gonzaga will still probably get a game against St. Mary's in the West Coast Conference Tournament. But let's say the Atlantic 10 ends up being a one-bid league and you know St. Bonaventure or whoever doesn't end up getting in. Rhode Island, wherever they finished in this discussion, like they were close to the top 16. I think David Warlock made that clear on Twitter last night that they were discussed uh, pretty heavily. Just logically, they're 20 and 3. They had to have been at least a major part of the discussion. Looking at who Rhode Island has left, they do play at St. Bonaventure, so that's an opportunity. But really, is the only way for a team like Rhode Island to move into this top 16, would the only way be for a team that's already in there to lose more than expected? Or is there anything that Rhode Island could do to earn it on its own merits? Win out. A little bit of both, I guess. <laughs> I mean, the A-10 is just doing them no favors this year. That, that's and a it, thing. Right. Yeah, and I know we've talked about that on, on – um, I don't remember if it was the last podcast or the one before, but it's just that's just the way it is this year. And it doesn't mean it's going to be like that every year. I think you guys convinced me of that. Um, but it uh, it's just doing them no favors. It, it's not. And, like, that's – it's something that that I struggle with when I do um, the bracketology for the summit for the, the women's basketball bracketology, um, especially on the women's side because there are a lot of uh, really good mid majors in women's basketball who like should be in the at large conversation, but it's so hard to judge them. So like if Rhode Island wins out, like their record's going to be awesome, but what individual game other than at St. Bonaventure moves the needle at all? Like you can't say, oh, well, you know, they, they beat Dayton on February 23rd and use that like as a justification to include them in anything over say Oklahoma provided Oklahoma, you know, plays to about what they're expected to from here on out, which, which is why I, I tend to think that one of those power five schools is going to have to mess up more than expected in order for a mid-major to get in. And and it's not fair, but I think that's just how the committee evaluates teams. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. It's just that's the sense that I got. I mean, one thing that I think is impressive, and I don't know, you know, uh, this is something they can do, is that if they were to win out, they would not have lost a road game since the beginning of December, which, you know, is impressive and I also don't know if you – I don't know off the top of my head. Has the A-10 ever had an undefeated a champion before? I I don't know, but I will say that the Atlantic 10 over the last 20 years has changed so much that even if they have, like I wouldn't take anything from – actually, they absolutely have. They absolutely have. St. Joseph's in 2004. Oh, that's right. Okay. Okay. And then Xavier was uh, 15-1 and one in 2011. George Washington in 2006 too. So it has been done, but it, I mean, it's one of these things where, you know, I don't know how much that, if that actually matters within the conference, but, um, you know, I have three road games left at, at St. Bonaventure, at LaSalle, at Davidson, two of those are, are, um, you know, against what I think we agree are the second and third best teams in the conference. Like that's, you know, I think that's impressive, um, no matter who the competition is. So I would say if, if I had to say one thing, it's that it's just that consistency on the road. Yeah, and that that is a big thing because road record does factor in. Uh, well, one thing that I think might help is this grouping, one, two, three, four. Even if RPI isn't, you know, the, the greatest metric, like it's something. 
it's some way to standardize what, you know, a win at St. Bonaventure would mean, like in how that would translate to a win in the Big Ten or the Big 12. Uh, so I, I, th- I think that does help. Um, and also looking at Rhode Island's team sheet right now, just one and three against group one probably does hurt them. Um, but they'll have an opportunity again at St. Bonaventure. That's a group one game on Friday. Well, it's interesting too, because if, I mean, I, I would think they're, if the season plays out the way we think it will, they're not going to get any worse than a five. Does that sound right? Or no, is that, is that wrong? Um, I, I think let's say, let's say they lose at St. Bonaventure win the A-10 tournament and win the rest of the regular season games, I don't see them getting worse than a five, no. Yeah, and then that's interesting because, I mean, they would have – I mean, that's a nice accomplishment, and they they would have built that in a in a down A-10 and against a non-con where, you know, the, as we mentioned, they, they did not have – you know, they at that point they'll just have that one win um, – against against Seton Hall mm-hmm. um but Providence I mean too, I think that's a solid win yeah yeah and you know I think it's also kind of you know underrated in their non-con that they beat CFC mm-hmm. um you know uh they beat Florida Gulf Coast uh they beat Iona which is I know not as up as it has been in recent years uh but is is still having a nice season so you know I think it's helpful that kind of you know they um hit those more successful uh mid-majors so if if they do get a five it'll be um at least a a little bit supported by you know some uh, quality mid-majors yeah and then and and you look at their losses they lost to Virginia as the number one team in the country they lost at Alabama a tournament team and they lost at Nevada a tournament team so you also can't point to any bad losses, and that's something that I mean, even Oklahoma can't really say. Um, I mean, it. I don't know if you want to say at Oklahoma State's a bad loss, but it's worse than any loss that Rhode Island has, and the same thing with that Iowa State. So I, th- I think that's another point that they would have over Oklahoma, and using Oklahoma just as the token sixteen team, um, whoever that might end up being. Who is I don't have the other um, teams in front of me. Who are the other four seeds? I don't remember. I know Ohio State was one of them. Uh, Tennessee, Ohio State, and Arizona. Tennessee was the first one. I don't know if you heard me say that. I mean, I have no problem with any of them, actually. And I would think uh, Ohio State, I would probably say, is underseeded really? in that. Why do you say that? Just the two wins against Purdue and Michigan State? Oh, I forgot. Are, are you, you're anti-Big Ten, right? No, I'm just saying those are their only two group one wins. No, I'm, I'm sorry. They're Ken Palm number 12, okay. right? Yeah, uh, those two wins, absolutely. Purdue and Michigan State. Uh, the Purdue one was on the road, by the way. Yes. Um, 13 and 1. In the Big Ten, I don't care if the Big Ten is down. Like, that says something. It really does. And if their worst loss was to Ken Palm number 39, Penn State, like, they've won all the games that they're supposed to win. And I know that the committee doesn't, you know, do the last 10 games thing anymore. But I think it's fair to say that Ohio State is a much better team than it was when it started 5-3. and three with those three losses in four games, like around Thanksgiving. Um, and I 
think the committee will try to evaluate where you are, right? Like the team that you are bringing into the tournament, however good that team is, uh, which is why I would say Ohio State, I would have expected to be higher, but I'm also going to qualify that with, I don't have it in, I don't have the resumes of everyone ahead of them in front of me. So I could very well look at those and decide I'm wrong. See, I think Ohio State's interesting from a Gonzaga perspective because when they when they went to a PK-80, um, I think at the time when they got the Ohio State win, that, that was seen as a nice win, but not not something to like write home about at the end of the year. And then they they lost the game, that, that like super exciting game to Florida, and that mm-hmm. seemed like a huge missed opportunity. Um, and those have kind of flipped. I mean, the Florida, had they won that game, that'd still be a nice win, but um, – as we as we approach a tournament in terms of a Gonzaga seeding, like that Ohio State win seems like it's going to carry a lot more water um, than it w- than than having a Florida win uh, would have. Like if those are switched, yeah, it's kind of interesting when you put it that way. I hadn't really considered that. Do we want to take a minute and discuss the the one other team that would have had a case, which is St. Mary's, um, because they've got. I mean, we all know what their issue is, and that's that they played a garbage schedule. I was going to say, do they really have a case? I don't think they have a case at all, to be honest. I mean, they've got a two a group one wins, and the the one of them was they just barely snuck in, I, I think, right? Because like BYU yeah. is 74. Well, they have more group one wins than Rhode Island does then. That's true. But I don't – I guess I'm like, – especially since well, a BYU is here, kind of falling Here's flat. the reason why I bring up St. Mary's as having a case, and maybe it's not as strong as – Gonzaga's or uh, Rhode Island's is because that win at Gonzaga carries a ton of weight to me because that is one of the toughest places to play in any year. And with Gonzaga being a top 10 team this year, at least in the polls, like that means a lot to me. And also just simply the fact that, and Will laid this out really well in his preview of the Gonzaga St. Mary's game. St. Mary's is a lot better than it was over Thanksgiving when it lost those two really bad games. So that, I mean, that that's why I bring them up. I mean, the, I know it, us at the site know that the win over New Mexico state's a good win, but I don't know if the committee would see it that way. Um, oh, the two bid whack. I say know. it again. Say it, it again. Two bid whack. <laughs> yeah. I think it's too bad that, Cal is as bad as it is because that would have been a nice win to have. Uh, Harvard too. That could have been a Harvard and Dayton, Washington State. I mean, they're usually pretty bad. But yeah, Washington State's garbage. Anytime you get you beat a Power Five team and it's not even remotely considered a good win. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and St. Mary's obviously didn't even beat Washington State, but right, right. that kind of screws you. <laughs> Um, but then a, a, another thing about St. Mary's that, that I think is is interesting to discuss, and I know different members of the committee think about this in different ways, like there's no set criteria for this, but how do you weigh looking not at a team's schedule, but looking at like their efficiency numbers? Like St. Mary's, fourth in the country in offensive efficiency second and effective field goal percentage. Like where do those come into play for you? Because by Ken Palm, which is just a standard thing that now everybody loves to use, including us, like St. Mary's is a top 20 team, uh, number 17 in Ken Palm, which would mean they're right on the verge of that top 16. So like do those numbers 
come into play for you guys at all? Should they come into play for the committee? I, I don't I don't really know. You know, for me they do, and I know it's a super small sample size, but just like if you go back to last year, like they had really great efficiency numbers last year and were in kind of the same exact position they were this year where they didn't really have any, you know, really nice quality wins. Um you know, those kind of a, uh, a group on wins throughout the year. And then I think they, they approved it out in the a tournament. You know, they were right there with Arizona. Um, you know, they uh, beat a good PCU team. And I think the same same goes for uh, Wichita State as well because um, uh, they were in kind of the same position as well last year. They had those awesome efficiency numbers. Uh, hadn't hadn't proven much against elite co- a, a competition throughout the year, but then they, in the, you know, in the uh, tournament showed well. So, at least just a base on that, I think I think it means something to me. Wichita State is probably the best comparison you can make it in terms of how much do you weigh the analytics. I know St. Mary's isn't quite at the level of what Wichita State was last year, but um, they're, they're kind of in the same boat, at least in my eyes. Do we, do we like this? I was just about to ask, do you actually like this? I do. I didn't like it at first. I don't like it. You don't? I don't. Why not? I just think that if you're gonna, I wish they wouldn't stop at just the 16. So you want to see a whole bracket? I if they were gonna do something, I would like to see a whole bracket. That way, we have a better idea of what they're looking at across the board. We can get a better idea of what they're looking at for bubble teams. Because I mean, for like the teams that we covered, do we know anything more now than what we did before Sunday? other than the chances of Rhode Island, Gonzaga, or St. Mary's getting a top four seed are not great. I think that is a big thing that we learned is that um, our teams are not in the top 16 right now. And I don't think, at least for Rhode Island, I don't know if there's anything that they can do to get there. That's, that's a big takeaway for me. I think the problem with revealing the whole bracket is that you have to start assuming conference champions and there's always going to be one or two, you know, bid thieves, yeah. like a couple of upsets and that throws the whole thing off. So it kind of makes it a little, I don't want to say pointless, but you're, you're starting to do a lot of guesswork at that yeah. point. Um, so that's one thing. It, and also just, I think the bubble changes so much during championship week because you can pick up, two or three quality wins in the span of two or three days um, that I, I don't know exactly how helpful it would be at this point. Um, but I mean, I, I, I see the, I see the intrigue behind wanting to do the whole bracket. At least. I, I just think if you're going to do it, like do the whole thing rather than just, I understand know, it. the top, like similar to how the, the college football playoff does. They, they lay it out. These are our teams this is what we're basing it off of, not just. Yeah, but you're talking about a 14 yeah, I, field. I know it's, it's hard to make the comparisons, but um, I just don't think there's a whole lot of really benefit to only releasing 20% of the bracket a month out. Well, the, the benefit is that it gets us talking about it. Exactly, and that's, that's why they do it. But I, That is why they do it, and it works. For that I don't reason. think the problem has ever been people discussing the bracket. I, I'm I'm just saying I don't really care for it as much as a lot of other people do. Like I would I would be fine without it. 
I would not miss it. I mean, you're, the, it's totally fair. The, the, the argument is that people tend to think of college basketball as a one-month sport, and this kind of extends its relevancy out into February a little bit. Um, but I mean, I, I get wanting to do, oh, wanting to see a whole bracket. The, the argument that I don't accept, and it was my position before they started doing this, is that they shouldn't do it because they've never done it before. And because we just want to be completely in the dark until selection Sunday, I no longer feel that way because that's just saying it should be this way because it's always been this way is not a good argument. And this is something that does get us talking that sheds a little bit light, a little bit of light on what the committee is thinking. And I think that's helpful to everybody. Uh, so, so that's why I like it. But yeah, I mean, I could see wanting to do the whole field. I get it. Greg, do you like it? I'm kind of indifferent. I mean, it was kind of fun to turn the uh, TV on on Sunday and like feel like it was selections uh, Sunday. So from like a pure kind of, whoa, this is cool standpoint, I thought, I think it's kind of neat. But I mean, I could take it or leave it. I wasn't even by a TV to watch it. So I was just watching everybody's reaction trickle in on Twitter and I was getting severe FOMO that I couldn't get the I could I wasn't able to get the tweets off, which is my biggest fear. Uh, I hate not being able to get the tweets off. That's why I need to get into Game of Thrones. And that was the pop culture section. <laughs> oh yeah, the, this is a podcast about sports and also pop culture. The first of its kind. And the next thing I thought we should discuss is that over the last few days, um. Three, at least three that I could think of off the top of my head, three schools have announced that they would be making coaching changes at the end of the season. Um, Ole Miss announced that Andy Kennedy Kennedy would not be returning. Uh, Bryant announced that Tim O'Shea would be retiring. And today Pepperdine announced that Marty Wilson would not be returning. And Greg, I, I wanted to start with you because you wrote about the Andy Kennedy situation and how it might affect mid-majors do, do you think that's the route they're going to look like one of the mid-major coaches on the rise and and if so who who do you think it are are the top candidates yeah no i won't i won't pretend to know enough about Ole miss um to kind of have an idea where they're going to go but you know if they if they went the mid-major route which i i guess i could see as being likely because it's kind of a kind of an thankless a, a job you know you don't have have the uh, the best resources uh, compared to your league, even though I know they have that new arena. Um, it's it's kind of a cop out because the name I like, and I know we we discussed uh, Steve Forbes, um, a Kermit Davis, even though he went to Mississippi State. I don't know what that means, and I think it's worth discussing whether you know for whatever reason he'll ever uh, make the move to a high major. Um, the two names I think are interesting, and the first one came from uh, from Chris, so I give him all the credit for it. I like Ron Hunter a lot as a name. Um, former IUPUI head coach Ron Hunter, um, so I'm sure he has a soft spot in in uh, in, uh, in uh, Chris's heart. Um, I and I don't. That's not a very exciting hire because um, I think he's in his mid 50s so he's not like a like a super young guy. But I mean, he's you know he's now run a couple of programs for, you know, a long time. So he knows what he's uh, doing. Um, he, he, he's had some, a lot of success, 
with high schoolers in, in the state of, 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 of uh, Georgia. So, you know, he has some connection to the South now, um, having been in Atlanta for the last seven years. Um, and, and the most intriguing thing about him is that, you know, he found a George Hill at, at IUPUI and developed him. And now he has Demarcus Hymans, who um, at least when, when we talked to him over the, over the off season, um, he thought was right at that level that, you know, he would play in the NBA and he's had a, he's had a, a, a tremendous year, for uh for them and he's kind of been in the spotlight before um you know with that with that upset of a a Baylor um a few years ago so you know there is some name recognition there but you know he he's a guy who's uh proven that he can build a program and I think that if they if they strike out um you know I don't think they're getting a guy like uh, like a muscleman right I think we'd all agree on that um I, I think he'll he'll have his I mean if he I think uh Cal is a is a is a much better job than Ole Miss um and he chose not to go there. So, you know, if they, if they uh, go down that road um, and, you know, kind of find themselves um, having been turned down a few times, I don't, I don't think he'd be a bad guy. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a, a good name to throw out there and just so, something to think about if you're an Ole Miss fan or fan of SEC basketball is that Ole Miss is not the type of school that's going to attract, you know, the, say five mid-major coaches that end up on everyone's list every year. Like if Archie Miller was still at Dayton, like Archie Miller would not be a candidate for Ole Miss um, just because it's not a great basketball job. Andy Kennedy did more there than anyone had ever done in the history of that program. And I think that was what one sweet 16. Oh, he, he almost, he almost, so he didn't even make it like a, like Mm-hmm. They had they had LaSalle beat and then they got him at the buzzer, and I only know that because that was in Kansas City and I was there. Those were good times. Oh yeah, that was before I was a mid major guy. So I I was like, who's LaSalle? And it didn't excite me very much. But if I could time travel back to that time, what a that would have been a treat. Point is, that's a really tough place to win. Uh, you you don't have a fan base that particularly cares about you. You're overshadowed by football. You have the money, and you have a new facility. When both of those things help, um, but the worthwhile recruits in your area are going to the basketball schools in the South. Um, talking particularly, what? I think that's. No, I think that's an important, like, an important point to make because, and I, you know, I liked that um, the Ole Miss. Um, SB Nation side, Red Cup Rebellion. Um, I I saw they had a list out of um, some guys that they would um, mm-hmm. want. And, you know, they had Steve Forbes and they had uh, Kermit Davis. But then they also had uh, Eric Musselman, uh, Dan Marley. Um, and I think it – it's just like I, I think it's important to remember that – you may lose perspective of this if you don't really follow mid-major basketball that uh, closely and you're kind of, you know, all into your school is that a guy like Dan Marley and a guy like Eric uh, Musselman, like they're in really good situations right now. Uh, Just because they're not in a high major does not mean that they're going to hop at any job, right? Like they can afford to wait for the right job. I think Dan Marley is just, I don't think he's ever leaving. So that's kind of a unique situation, but, but so I think it's, you know, it's, I think you have to keep the perspective that not not every mid-major guy, just because it's a high-major job, is just going to be like hopping after the job. I mean, that said, shoot your shot. If you're, if you're Ole Miss sure. and you think you can get them, 
go for it. Yeah. Make yeah, your okay. phone calls. Like, why not? Oh, for sure. For sure. Is is there a stranger fit to you than, than, than Dan Marley and, uh, and Ole Miss? You could have asked me to list like a hundred names. I don't know if I would have gotten to Dan Marley. The guy, the guy has like a bunch of restaurants in the Phoenix area. He's made a ton of money. He's like a <laughs> legend there. He's not moving to Oxford, Mississippi. And, and Oxford's fun. Like I've been to Oxford. It's, 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 it's cool. It, the problem is like, like I was all excited to go to the Grove and that was like, Oh my gosh, you have to go to the Grove. Have, that's the greatest like, like tailgating experience. And like, they don't play games. Like, you know, there's no, uh, no, a cornhole, at least not where the I hell was. Kind of tailgate is you that? Know, there's no open flames. So like you bring prepared food in already. I don't know. It wasn't my scene. We did have, so there is this also this rule that is just ridiculous that there's no, there's no alcohol in the Grove. All right. You, you cannot have alcohol in the Grove, but if it's in like a solo cup, it's okay. So I thought it was a stupid rule because like we had a, like we had a friend who was unloading a, a, a case of beer and a cop saw her and made her pour out all 24 cans of beer which was, which was stupid because it wasn't, it was, it was still out. It wasn't like they weren't in cups. So me, you know, trying to be defiant, I take a can as we walk from like the tailgate to the game and I'm doing it just to be an idiot. I knew, I knew I should have followed their stupid rule and a cop like saw me and told me to throw it out. So I just placed it on the ground being an asshole. And he like threw me to the ground. I shit you not. <laughs> right. And like, m- m- like my wife is staring at me and she's freaking out. Whoa. And like, I started going through my mind, like I'm in like, the middle of Mississippi getting thrown to the ground by a cop. This was, this was like, I'm a, I'm a suburban kid from like the North. I'm a damn Yankee. And this is like, I made a really bad decision. Fortunately, he just made me go uh, actually throw it out. And that was the end of that. So that's my Oxford story. Greg, after precisely one beer. Exactly. Ant- antagonizing the local force in the entire South. Wow. That's right. I started singing, I'm a Yankee doodle dandy and walked right on, <laughs> right on by. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not. It's wasn't one of my smarter moments. Wow. But, oh, know, that's a great. Story. No, that's it. I'll save. I'll save the stuff. I'll, I'll. I'll send this out like one per podcast. Anything else you want to tell us while we're at it? <laughs> Let's do it. Just don't let it replace Whack Minute. I can't. I can't lose that. Oh yeah, you want to do your Whack Minute? Hey, we're still alive. We are still alive with the with the two bid Whack for now. And that there can't be anything wrong with that. And that I think it's. Uh, had they lost that game to Grand Canyon and then they had had they won out and lost besides losing in the WEC uh, uh, championship game, do you guys think it would that have been the end of it? I think so. Like, I think it's yeah. a long shot as it is. Like, all, all I really want is to force the committee to have a tough conversation about New Mexico State. And, I, like... I, like I think, I think we've already kind of arrived there, though. I hope because like a lot of the projections I've seen, like I know Lenardi had them as had them as like a nine, I think recently. So it's like right, at least in that. That's an at large seed, exactly. Yeah. That's not like that's not an eleven, right? That's not like right on the fence. So right now, at the same time, you, if you lose a game to any team in the WAC, it could you know have you fall it's right. It's not going to drop you that much. But, but I, well, the WAC is a, is a very well, a Chicago successful State. basketball conference. Yeah. Coog season. Yeah, but like, I mean, I know Grand Canyon's not very good, but like, they're not awful. They're not Chicago State. No, and that's the thing. And it's like, I, it's, if you're going to, if you're going to lose a game, even though it was in, in less a crucis, that, that would have been the game you could maybe, maybe just maybe afford to lose. 
Um, I don't know. Well, I'm glad they didn't. Well, and I think that actually leads into another interesting conversation. Uh, uh, Chris Jans, uh, is he, I think he would be for a high major if you're, and I think Ole Miss is a program that fits the bill. If, if you want to make a higher all on upside, I think that that's gotta be a guy you look at. Um, uh, because he had that first shot at bowling a green, um, in 20, I think it was 2014, 15. Um, and they won over 20 games. Um, and then he, he had the videos surface of, of him acting inappropriately in a bar. He was fired. He returned to Wichita state and now he's at New Mexico state just having an insane year. Um, so the guy has, it seems like in a very short amount of time, it seems like, I mean, all the returns have been positive. Um, he, you know, he uh, comes from the uh, the, uh, the the uh, the uh, Greg Marshall uh, tree, which I don't know if that's really established yet. But I mean, it's a guy who, if you wanted, you could probably have if you're a high major right now, um, before before he potentially gets uh, uh, too hot and falls into the uh, a category of a guy like Eric Musselman that can kind of pick his spots. So, is that a guy? If you guys were an AD of kind of a lower level high major, is that a guy you would take like a look at? Yeah, like UConn. Is that is that a guy you take a look at? No, not not if I'm UConn. No. Um, here's here's why. I think there are a lot of schools that um, Chris Jans would be a really good fit at. I'm looking at what he's done and where he's been. Assistant at Idaho, Illinois State, Wichita State, Bowling Green, Wichita State again, New Mexico State. Um, use UConn as an example. He doesn't seem to have any ties to the Northeast whatsoever. UConn likes to recruit in Boston, in New York. They should be recruiting more in Philly. Uh, He doesn't check any of those boxes, and UConn doesn't typically get players from anywhere he's been before, except maybe the Chicago area. Uh, So that would be my concern. I would want somebody who has ties to the Northeast in some way. Unless it's like just a home run higher like like an eric musselman tom tom um, crean has ties for the northeast well tom crean is very high on my uh wish list Here, here's a name for um old miss that i saw on twitter the other day that kind of made me perk up but i wasn't completely sure if it was a serious thing what about rick stansbury I mean, that's a. They really don't like Mississippi State. <laughs> so, like, I, I mean, the guy's proven he can win in the SEC, right? Yeah. So that is an intriguing name. He's, I just, I, they, he know, he's shown he can recruit. He, he knows how to exist in this environment. That's an interesting name. But that's a, that's a good point because he's a. Do you think he, he's done enough this year where. Yeah, he'll be a name a lot of people are considering at the high major level. If they make the tournament, maybe. See, I think if if his name is being brought up, say at Ole Miss, I don't think it's because of anything he's done yeah. this year. I think it's because he's an accomplished recruiter. He's coached in the SEC before, and he's proven that he can sell his program. That's what I think it would be, regardless of what their record ends up being this year. But I do think the fact that he's turned the Western Kentucky program around does say he's something. he's not going to be there for long, is he? I don't think so. No, 
I, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before, but I don't foresee him being there all that much longer. We've t- we've talked about it in a conversation heavily laced in uh, innuendo about why he might not be there. So he's 58 years old, and I don't know. Like he's 58. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the. I don't want to be an ageist here. Um, no, but that is a concern. Yeah, it's it's not because again, like as you guys mentioned, he's not like a slam dunk to leave after this year. Like I don't. So I don't. Like the clock is kind of ticking on that. I had no idea he was that old. I guess he was at Mississippi State for a while. Ooh, Greg, what was the other thing you want to talk about? Well, I was going to, you know, a, a conference race that each of us is excited about as we near the final stretch here. And I can lead off by talking about the Ohio Valley, I guess. Um, I don't have much to say about it other than Belmont is 12 and 2, Murray State is 12 and 2. Belmont just lost last weekend and off the did they lose to Tennessee State? I can't yeah, remember. I think it, was, it was one of the Tennessees. It was either State or Tech. Yep. It was a surprising loss. Um, I know they they had just been in the midst of like a four-game road trip, which is like uh, kind of interesting in its own right um, in conference play. But uh, Murray State is a, you know, very good team. Uh, Jonathan Stark is leading the OVC in scoring. Um, again, he was a leading scorer last year. He's, he's having a really great year, a, a two-lane a transfer. Um, they're kind of an exciting exciting team that I don't know that we probably discussed enough um, in the offseason because they did have um, him returning and uh, uh, Terrell uh, Miller, um, who's another uh, really good uh, guy in the backcourt. So um, I think that's an exciting team with obviously a pedigree uh, to some degree. I know, I know not under the current coach. But uh, unfortunately, those two teams uh, played already. I think it was like maybe like a month ago and Belmont won. So we don't have a showdown uh, between them left. But um, still a race to watch uh, with, I think, a, a pair of uh, 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 mid-majors that I think we'd all agree are uh, pretty good. Did, did Murray make it into our rankings this weekend or week? Yeah, I think this is their second straight week in it. I was gonna say, I think I had them at twenty five. I I had them at twenty six. First team, first team out of my ranking, gotcha. and I only bumped them so I could put in UNC Greensboro because I had a feeling they were gonna beat East Tennessee yesterday, and then they did. Rusterdamus, Rusterdamus strikes again. I think the conference that I'm most interested in at this particular point is the Mountain West. Just uh, because you took my, I'm sorry, I, I can do a different. You better I, scramble, I got, Russ. You better you got scramble. These two teams in Nevada and Boise State, who are very clearly cut above the rest of the conference. They, they play tomorrow, I believe. Or they do Wednesday night. Whenever you listen to this, and then you've got like five or six different teams that are hovering around like 500, like UNLV, Fresno State, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah State all have seven wins. I believe it's pronounced Wyoming. E. Wyoming, sorry. I, yeah, it's my okay. Indiana just, accent. Correct you. Sorry, yeah. Is that actually what they call it, or am I being stupid? No, I am I was stupid, and I refer to it as that on a podcast once. So. Oh, okay. I have a very bad memory. I'm sorry. Ever again. I'm sorry to interrupt, Chris. You, were, had, a, you had a great thought going there. Yeah. And, then, and then you got San Diego State, who – having a down year but obviously talented and then 
the whole situation at Colorado State. I just think it's what the standings look like right now, or it's going to be completely different. I mean, even at this time next week. And I think that the Mountain West is still one of the conferences that has a chance at maybe getting two bids. Perhaps, maybe if we get absolutely, lucky, we get lucky. I w- I would absolutely put Nevada and Boise in. So anyway, that's my that's my race to that I'm intrigued by. Well, you you took mine, but I'm so sorry. in doing so, you brought up something that I realized we forgot to touch on, which is that Colorado State's going to need to hire a new coach too. Yeah, that's a, it's it's kind of a, a a little bit of a problem uh, See, with Larry Eustace. Uh, if South Dakota makes it, especially a Craig Ooh. Smith would be. Yep, that's got that's, that's got to be the first and last immediately be the first and last name came to my mind. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So we're not even going to entertain the thought of Becky Hammond. Ooh. What is what is her connection to? She went to Colorado, Colorado State. State. Okay. Yeah, I was. We should definitely entertain that thought. That's that's. Uh... Now I talked to somebody relatively in the know who is pretty confident that Becky Hammond is the coach in waiting for the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, that was going to be my question: is how much longer is Pop going to do this, and is she kind of the? Because I know she get her name gets thrown around a lot in uh, the NBA discussion for, for head does. coaches, and I. But, not for one of those. But but here's my thinking though. If if she is going to be the next coach of the Spurs, maybe does she want to get some head coaching experience under her belt first? And if you're Colorado State, you know, it I don't think I I don't think I would really mind hiring someone knowing they might only be there for say 5 years. Um, and then leave to go coach the Spurs if it's going to be Becky Hammond because you're going to get all of the publicity of being the first Division One program to hire a female head coach. Yeah, and, and you know, it, and I didn't read the article um, that I saw that we retweeted yesterday, and I should have. Um, and it's, I mean, sure, you're, I mean, you're always taking a risk um, when you hire someone who's not had previous head coaching experience. But you know, I think it's safe to say you're not taking a risk in hiring someone who who does not know the game because if like. If a pop, you know, thinks a world of her, then she has to be like super, super uh, uh, successful at what she does. You know, yeah, I don't think anyone's doubting her uh, her knowledge of the game or her qualifications to coach whatsoever. Is there anything out there um, that says that she's expressed an interest in it, or is this is it all just kind of like it seems like a perfect fit? Just based on the yeah, it's just based on the Mountain West Wire story i thought it was worth bringing up no i think if she's interested i as much as i think a craig smith would be a perfect fit i think i think you'd have to go with that do we have trivia no i don't have any i wanted to try to find something with the ap polls um i was gonna ask like what because there's four teams in the polls right now from the majors i think yeah Gonzaga, St. Mary's, Rhode uh, Island, Nevada uh, still in it, correct? Did Nevada drop out this week? No, I believe. God, we're so. No, they're still in. They're 24. 24. And that Has, first team out, Greg. New Mexico State, right? New Mexico State, yep. 
New Mexico State. Here we go. And it's not just the um, who's the columnist for the Washington Post that um, like always throws his vote at like at like a mid major that that he likes. John Feinstein. John Feinstein. That's right. Um, I think he threw it at Vermont this week. Is that right? Uh, it looks that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Towson was the recipient of it at one point. This Didn't year. Valpo get it? They did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rank Valpo. So that's that's a legit others receiving vote. Then. Yeah. <laughs> that's good for New Mexico State, and I don't know what's going on in that in that uh, UVA Miami game right now. But um, the better Miami oh does, obviously. God, is it like thirteen to eleven with like thirteen minutes left in the second? It's half? thirty-three to twenty-six, under twelve in the second half. <sighs> what game is this? Virginia, Miami. Oh my God! Or at least, uh, like, at least one of the teams. How could you? Who's winning? Uh, Virginia is winning. Miami needs to. Miami needs to win that game. How can people continue to justify enjoying UVA basketball? It they have, blows my mind. They have one remotely interesting player. Who? Kyle Guy. It's Kyle Guy. Oh, okay, Kyle Guy. Thank you. Yeah, they have great. They have great last names: Salt and Guy and Jerome. Remember that tweet I sent out? Your Virginia basketball name is your <laughs> cheese and your favorite condiment. And I argued yeah. with some. Di- that some was great. Guy was arguing with me. If, like, no, I typed in condiment and like I'm gonna look it up right now. I will read you the definition of condiments: a substance such as salt or ketchup that is used to add flavor to food. Whatever that guy's name was, screw you. It's probably. Probably Jason Ewu. I'm salt is not. A, I'm on team salt is not a condiment. That's not a condiment. It's a it's seasoning. A seasoning. <laughs> Can a seasoning not be a condiment? How? how would, mm, no. Why not? I, I just salt's not a condiment. It's just not not in my mind. According to Wikipedia, a condiment is a spice, sauce, or preparation that is added to food to impart a particular flavor to enhance its flavor. Or in some cultures, to complement the dish, salt, salt, salt fits the bill. This is kind of like how <laughs> a tomato is technically a fruit. Like it's not, but even if by definition it is. Okay, see that the problem is that salt is a component of a condiment, but it's not? not a condiment in and of itself. I don't, salt, I don't know why. It's just not. Fries? I can't give you an articulate answer. I do put salt on my French fries because I season my fries. Yeah, season them. <laughs> now I'm upset. Yeah, I, we should stop this so you could go online and let your angers out there. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. For Chris Schutte and Greg Mitchell, I'm Russ Steinberg. I'll try not to uh, go too long without getting you another one of these. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.